This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. This man who's young and strong and feels that he can do anything to, to get anything he wants, now he wants eternal life, and this lack of knowledge of this good thing that he needs to do to get eternal life is driving him crazy. If only he could just use his money to buy eternal life. But his problem is he doesn't know how much it costs to buy eternal life. And this is a man who has money, and this is a man who has gotten money, and this is a man who knows what it is like to get what he wants with his money. He buys what he wants. He thinks that everything has a price. But why not eternal life? But he doesn't know how much it's going to cost to get the eternal life. And this lack of knowledge of how much it's going to cost to buy eternal life is driving him crazy. If only he could just use, if only he could leverage his power, his powerful position to somehow get this. This is a man who knows how to use his powerful position to get what he wants, and he wants eternal life. His problem is he doesn't know how to leverage his position to get eternal life. That's a problem. So when we look at this man, you see all of his health, his youth, his money, his power, he's tormented by the fact that he doesn't have eternal life. He has everything in life except for one thing, which is eternal life. And he's just as much in need as a man with leprosy, a man who's blind, a man who's a parent of a dead child. He's just as much as need as all those people we've seen so far in the book of Matthew come to Christ. And one thing about all those people who came to Christ that we're just mentioning here, none of them strolled. None of them just kind of strolled over to Christ with no troubles. They ran. Each of them ran, if not figuratively, in essence, with their needs. And he's not just strolling over to Christ to have a, a nice, interesting religious conversation. He's running to Christ with his need. Just as today, no one strolls to Christ. No one strolls over to Christ. They run to Christ with their needs. And just as the man knew so well, the one word that tormented him was the word temporary. His health and his youth are temporary. And now he wants eternal life so that he can have eternal health and youth. 
This man knows so well that his wealth is temporary. And now he wants eternal life so that he can have eternal wealth, which Jesus did address when he said, do this and you'll have treasures in heaven. This man knows so well that his good position, his powerful position is temporary. And now he wants eternal life so that he can have a good position for eternity, like maybe being a son of God, one of the sons of God. And the worst thing that this man knows so well is that life itself is temporary and he's gonna die and he wants eternal life so he'll never die. And this man's soul is plagued with this one word, temporary, and he yearns for another word to replace it, eternal. And that's what's behind him. This man is hoping in Christ. He's hoping that Christ will tell him how to get this eternal life. He knows he doesn't have it, and he wants it so much, and he wants so much for Christ to tell him, lead him, guide him, instruct him, show him. And so he comes in verse 16, and he calls Christ right off the bat, good master. Now, first of all, there are two words in Greek that you could use for master, good is good, master, and this is one particular word. And he calls Christ in Greek, he calls it didaskali, didaskali agate. So didaskali is where we get our word didactic from, didactic. Didactic means to teach, it means to instruct. The other wording for that they could have used, which he didn't use, is archon. Archon means ruler, you know, like the arch, archangel, the top supreme, the one in charge. He didn't use that word. He didn't use that word to address Christ because he wasn't coming to Christ, the supreme arch one overall. He's coming to Christ as the didaskali, as the teacher, as the leader. That's why he's called Christ, in essence, he's called Christ didactic, which is translated here, master. And the reason he used this all-important word for Christ is because this man wants Christ to didactically teach him, to show him how he can get eternal life. What has he got to do to get eternal life? It's really so much better if we just see verse 16 as reading good teacher, because that's really what he said, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So the person is just exuding sincerity. It's just dripping off of me. He's so sincere in his quest for eternal life. He wants it, he needs it, he must have eternal life, and he's come to Christ, and he's come publicly. He doesn't care if everyone sees him come and publicly confess that he's desperate to get eternal life. He doesn't care that everybody sees him in this desperate state of vulnerability, not having eternal life. He doesn't have eternal life. He knows he doesn't have eternal life. He needs eternal life. He's come to Christ to find out how he can get eternal life. That's what this verse 16 is all about. He's practically in tears. He just wants Christ, please be my teacher. Just teach me how to get eternal life. Good teacher, he starts off. And when this man calls Christ, good teacher, in verse 16, he's saying to Christ, you're the good teacher, I'm willing to be taught by you as my good teacher. Just teach me how to get eternal life. You're the good teacher, I'm willing to submit myself to you as my good teacher. Just show me what good thing I need to do to get eternal life. He's very, very similar in what he's saying here to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Christ by night and his first words were in John 3, 2. John 3, 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher didacts didascali, same word. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And when Nicodemus said to Christ, thou art a teacher, in John 3, 2, John 3, 2, when he said, thou art a teacher come from God, 
Nicodemus knew what he had at his heart, even though he didn't say it, but Christ knew more exactly what Nicodemus was wanting. And Nicodemus was just like this young ruler wanting Christ to teach him how to get eternal life. And Christ knew that. So when when he told Christ that he was a teacher come from God, Christ knew that Nicodemus wanted him to teach him how to get eternal life. And that's why Christ told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man is born again, he has no hope of having eternal life. In essence, what he said. That's what Christ said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3. All right, you want me to teach you how to have eternal life? I'll teach you. You have to be born again. And so started the whole teaching in John 3 on the subject of the second birth. So this man, this young man, this rich young ruler, addresses Christ as good teacher, and that's, that's how we see Christ here. He said, Christ says, all right, you want me to be a good teacher? I'll be a good teacher. And so we start. So we start. Christ as the section we could entitle it, Christ as the showing himself as the good teacher, because he shows a quality in his teaching that is so good. He shows a quality in his teaching that he hasn't rebuffed this man, and the quality is in Hebrews 5.2, Hebrews 5.2, where it says about Christ, he can have compassion on the ignorant people who need to be taught and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. What makes Christ such a good teacher is his capacity to have compassion on the ignorant and on those who are so far away. There's two kinds of compassion. You can look down on a person and say, well, I've never been like that, but I have compassion on you. Or you can look straight across on that person and say, just like you. When we think of God, we think of almighty. We were talking about this in the service before. Almighty, what could God not know? Or the person who is weak in his understanding could say, what could God know about my weakness? to not understand. He's God. He understands everything. He knows nothing personally about what it's like for me to be weak. We think of God, we think that what could God know about a person's weakness to be so far from God, to be so forsaken by God? He's God. He's almighty. What does God know about that like to be weak? And that's where we're astounded with the fact and can't really understand it, how the almighty God did the unthinkable and the unthinkable for God to have done is in Philippians 2.6, Philippians 2.6, who being in the form of God, thought it not a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, who being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Words in that passage, Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, which speak about the unspeakable that God did to himself when it says the words like he made himself of no reputation. God made himself so weak as to have no reputation. No one in the universe has a greater reputation of strength and power than God himself, but God then makes himself so weak as to have zero reputation. Philippians 2.7, made himself of no reputation. Those words like took upon him the form of a servant. Everyone serves God. Everything serves God. And then God takes upon himself the form of a servant. God makes himself so weak as to become a servant to others. Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7, he took upon him the form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient to death. No one is above God. Everyone is humble below God. 
all obey God. And then God becomes the person who humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death, the most horrible death, the death of cross. Philippians 2.8, Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. All this describes how God surrounded himself with weakness, weaknesses and infirmities, so that now God can look horizontal on a weak person and say to that weak person, I know exactly, I know personally exactly what it feels like to be weak and filled with infirmities. Because God, now a God, in Hebrews 5.2, Hebrews 5.2, can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So now the Lord is in this position and he's teaching this man and he takes the man's own words. He takes the man's own words and he works with them. It's beautiful to see this as he works with the man's own words and guides him. And he's gonna do this now. The first teaching and guidance is for the man to come to know who the man is and who Jesus Christ is. And he does this beautifully in verse 17 with another question. And the question is, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that's God. So truths, he's going to now build truths out of this. And the first truth that must be known in order to have eternal life is this truth of who is the man and who is Jesus Christ. And to know Jesus Christ is to have eternal life, as he said in John 17, 3, John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So he's leading the man in teaching to come to know that Jesus Christ is God. This is what's going to happen. And so he's told the old man, first of all, there is none good but one, that's God. So that put the man in the position of either saying, Jesus Christ is only a man and not God, if that's the case, then, then he could not call Jesus Christ God, or to say that Jesus Christ is God and therefore good because only God is good. That's what's going on here. So either Christ, either Christ is just a man and not God, in which case he can't be called God, or Jesus Christ is God and therefore he can be called good. So the Lord's asking this man to decide. He's asking this man to think it through. Which one is it? He can only be good if he's God. And furthermore, when the man asks the Lord for what good thing that he needed to do to get eternal life, the young man was thinking in himself, well, I'm good. I'm good enough to do some good work to have eternal life. That man needed to be led to show him, to show himself, to come to the understanding he's not good. He's a dirty, rotten sinner. And the problem is that with this young man said in verse 16, when he said those words, behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? When he said, what good thing shall I do? The man is assuming that he can do some good thing. And that's a problem because God said about every person in Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all have sinned. You know, the, the last people I sat next to on this flight from Phoenix to San Diego, I was sitting next to this couple who were from Oregon and they were on their way to San Diego to get on some cruise ship. The whole trip, I was trying to talk to them about Jesus Christ and there was no traction. I could not get traction because all they wanted to talk about was the great things that they had done in making human proteins and plans to treat genetic disorders in kids. They're both scientists. 
and that's what they want to talk about. And I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus Christ. And all I could think of is sometimes you're out on a, on a boat and boats are very close to each other and you can see the other person in the other boat. You see another boat out there. You can see them there. You say, let's talk to each other. So you grab the marine radios. You start talking to each other. So I could see he was on another boat. I was on a boat. We could see each other. But the only trouble is, is that I was on one channel on the marine radio and he was on the other channel on the marine, marine radio and we, we weren't communicating. And I was trying to talk to him about how Jesus Christ saves from sin and judgment. And he started to talk to me about how inserting genes into viruses, uh, tobacco viruses, was going to save these children. And they kept referring to what I was talking about as religion, and I kept referring to it as reality. It was a very frustrating conversation. But the problem was the same as this young man had when he said in verse 16, what good things shall I do? They were telling me about the good things that they had done and the good things are done by good people. That's the point. Good things are done by good people. And God says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. God says in, in Psalm 53.3, Psalm 53.3, every one of them has gone back. They're altogether become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. So when Jesus said in Matthew 19.17, in verse 17 here, verse 17, there's none good, he meant that there's no man that's good, and that means in Psalm uh, 53.3, Psalm 53.3, there's none that doeth good. There's none good, so there's none that doeth good. That's because every man, woman, and child is a sinner, a dirty, rotten sinner type, and Job put it this way, Job 15.16, Job 15.16, how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water? Sin makes all of us corrupt. We're corrupt to the core. And Jesus said about corruption in Matthew 7, 18, Matthew 7, 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So the fundamental problem that this man has when he says to Christ that he, what good thing shall I do, is he sees himself as good and able to do a good thing, and that's what he needed to be taught. He needed to be straightened about this. The man started off with Christ with a good start. He calls him a good teacher. That's good. It went downhill from there, but that was good. He was saying, Christ, teach me. You're a good teacher. And so Christ, the good teacher, took what, what the man had said in verse 16, what good thing shall I do? And so starts a lesson, three lessons, three instructions. The good teacher, Christ, is now going to give three instructions. Instruction number one was, well, you ask me what good thing you can do. That assumes that you can do a good thing, which assumes that you are good. That's wrong. That's wrong. So the first teaching is, in verse 17, verse 17, there's none good. There's none good. You are sinful, in essence, he's saying. The dirty, rotten variety of sinful. That's your need. That's your need. If you don't have a need to be forgiven and cleansed from your personal sin, then that means you have no need for Christ because that's what he does. He forgives and cleanses from sin. So, no need for that, no need for Christ. So Christ's first instruction focused on who this man was, who he thought he was. His first instruction taught the man that you are a dirty, rotten sinner. And that's the first start for any person who has any hope to come to Christ and to be saved. He's got to see himself as a sinner, as a dirty, rotten sinner. And dirty, rotten sinners cannot do good things. That's why I couldn't get any traction last night. That's trying to talk to this couple on their way to this cruise. 
last night. They didn't see themselves as dirty, rotten sinners. They saw themselves as wonderful people doing good things, saving children from their genetic diseases. But for a person to only see himself as a dirty, rotten sinner, that sets them up for a need for Christ. But if that's all they see themselves as, that's, they see nothing else, it's very depressing. There's no good news in that. There's no gospel in seeing yourself as a dirty, rotten sinner. There's no good news. So that means that instruction number two is needed. And instruction number two is, whereas instruction number one focused on the person, on this man as a dirty, rotten sinner, instruction number two focuses on Christ himself, which is why, why Christ spoke to that man about himself. When he said in verse 17, why callest thou me good? Me good. This is eloquence in teaching. This is so beautifully eloquent for Christ to take a question in verse 16 from the man, what good thing shall I do? And from that question, move this man from seeing himself and who he is and what he can do for himself, which is nothing, to seeing Christ and who he is, and what Christ can do for him. This is beautiful. And this is how Christ takes his head and turns it from himself to see Christ. And Christ does this turning of this man's eyes from himself to Christ with one question. Why callest thou me good? And now comes this, this is an eloquent move by Christ because without the man even knowing it, he doesn't even know what's happened. He has gracefully, in essence, taken this man's head and turned his eyes upon Jesus. And he does it all with this statement in verse 17. Such few words. There's none good but God. That's God. There's none good, he told the man. There's none good enough to help you. There's none good enough to help you. You are not good enough to help yourself. Your best friends are not good enough to help you. Your parents are not good enough to help you. Your wife is not good enough to help you, he's saying in essence. Jesus is saying in verse 17, there's none good. This is what Jehovah Jesus said in Jeremiah 17.5. Jeremiah 17.5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. He shall be like, be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see good when it cometh, and shall inhabit the parched places of the wilderness in a salt land, and not inhabited. But then the Lord didn't leave this man in this state of despair by just saying, well, there's none good, so forget about it. Verse 17, he didn't do that. He moved on to say, there's none good but one, that's God. This is Jesus saying in verse 17, there's none good but one, that's God. He can help you. Just like Jehovah Jesus went on in Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 17, when he says, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusted a man who maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth the Lord, for he shall be like a heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit parched places in the wilderness and the salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And he shall be like a tree planted by the waters and spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when his heat cometh but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Then the passage goes on and says, don't trust yourself to understand this because the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This is how the good teacher Jesus eloquently taught this man to think and deduce, yeah, I know that Jesus is good, but there's none good but God. That's God. Jesus must be God. That's what he was leading him to. And that's instruction number two. Jesus is God. Everyone needs these two instructions in life. There's no eternal life without learning these two truths. First truth, there's none good, which includes me. 
Second truth, but this first instruction, I should say, is that I'm not good. I'm a sinner. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Sinners need to be forgiven. Sinners need to be cleansed by God. Dirty, rotten sinners especially need to be forgiven and cleansed by God. That's instruction number one. It brings a person to realize he needs God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.